do you guys want to do any kind of um, like failure coupon code for like 30% off our site or something like that so your listeners get a little like can, can like buy shit for cheap on my if they're interested sure because I'm happy to do that Mark, sure. what podcast are we on? And then well, who, what did you drag in today for a guest? Okay. <laughs> oh. Our failure, the podcast, and you will hear David chastise me many, many times during this call or during this podcast. And I will assure you that we only do audio. And if you really want to turn off the video, you may, if that, if you're really skeeved No, out. it's fine. No, it's all good. It's all good in the hood, man. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. So wait a minute. Let's so let's start all over. This is typical. Typical. <laughs> let's go to the beginning. Um, we don't need to know who Mark and I are because people have had the misfortune of hearing us at least perhaps once. And um, but we have tens of listeners. Who is Jenny? Other than your friend and all your background, uh, well, you know, Jenny analyzing. Himself, yeah. but I've known yeah. Jenny for a long time. She and my wife were friendly. They they ran with a group of friends a number of years ago, and then sadly she moved out to the West Coast. Is your name Jenny? It it truly is Jenny. No, the other the, the the other person on my screen, the person who keeps talking when we're trying to talk to you. His name's Mark. Oh, Jenny, who are you? Oh, he's he's he is just getting you good. He's a goddamn IP lawyer, so. <laughs> oh my God. That's I idea. object. <laughs> I don't even think IP lawyers say that, but that's I'm we a don't failure. So yeah. I know they go along with it all. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're very mellow. So who yeah. is Jenny? Who is Jenny? So so you're asking Jenny this question. So surprisingly, Mark won't get a yeah. chance to talk for a few minutes. Okay. Well. So I've known Mark. No, I. Uh, so I am an old friend of Mark and Stacy's, but uh, and I'm from Boston originally, and I grew up in Wayland and went to school in Waltham, and I can go as back as far as you'd like. Um, but I did move out to Los Angeles in 2000 um, just to pursue something a little more creative. I was on the on the verge of opening a business, a gym in Brookline, and uh, I had gone through a lot of steps and found some uh, investors and some real estate. And then I went to go work for a gym, which I never had before. And I realized that this is not the business I wanted to be married to for the rest of my life. Not that there's anything wrong with fitness, but I, it was a little, it just wasn't for me. So I, um, so I moved out to California. Hold on, before you get any further for one listener who might be in, I think, where did I tell you from? The other was like Kazakhstan. They well, is Brookline the same as Brooklyn? No, Brookline, Massachusetts, which is uh, a suburb. It's it's part of Boston, basically, um, and it's a lovely little village type town, if, you, if you want to call it that. And you mentioned Stacy, that so I'm I'm being my news reporter. You get to be the panelizer, you get to be the news reporter. So that you it. mentioned Stacy. That's Mark's significant other, who's that's, who was who was here actually that, on the recording, not, but we not that significant. that's That's what makes the marriage good that's great insignificant other yeah yeah two or three of them have been good but getting back so you were about to open a gym in brookline in brookline yes brookline and and uh and i and i just i didn't want to do it i realized it wasn't for me so um i had lived in los angeles previously in the in the late late 80s before becoming a ski bum in Vail, Colorado, and I've always wanted to come back. So I came back. I, I um, have always been in a sort of a creative, 
And I, I went to work for Warner Brothers, and then I got a job at, in strategic marketing for Warner Brother Records because I love the music industry. And, uh, and then I went to work for a production company called Morgan Creek, and then back to Warner Records, where I was a creative copywriter for about seven or eight years. And this was in the aughts, the 2000-2010 Exactly. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Like around two, yes, two thousand. Yes, and during while I was uh, towards the end of my tenure at Warner Records, I was a consultant for them at towards the end there, and that's when I started uh, the Green Garmento, which is a whole nother Oprah. But we can get into that, and I'd love to tell you about it. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. And how did you have okay. the misfortune of knowing Mark? So Mark's insignificant other Stacy um, is uh, uh, she is one of the best friends of a dear friend of mine named Jonathan Lev and he introduced us and we became fast friends oh I know him and, yeah hey. Jack Jonathan Lev you don't know you don't him. oh everybody knows Jonathan well we need to do, um, we have our usual joke is that oh we need to start recording but that's hard to get away with so that was the new one keep going yeah um, so yeah, so, so Jonathan introduced us and we just became friends and, and Mark actually lived, lives in the town where I grew up. So we had lots of things in common and, and there's that. That's how I know him. Okay. You know, I think we were in a, um, pizza shop on a new year's Eve together once. Oh God, I, bringing that up, bringing that up. I, I seem to recall it was like you and me and <laughs> I think maybe Stacy and it was like four in the morning or three in the morning and it was some pizza shop next to the Berkeley college of music. It was Little Stevens. Oh, little right. Stevens. Oh, little and, little and, and I remember this now. I hadn't thought of that in good fit. That's fantastic. Yes, I was drunk and crying over a lost love. Thank you very much. I might have thrown oh, up too. Oh, but it, in a gown, in an in a you know, in like my New Year's Eve gown with diamonds, probably vomiting on the floor of Stevens. It's fine. <laughs> Bring that up. That's the first thing I want you to recall when you think of me because it goes along with the whole failure thing. I'm, I'm oh, perfect. You. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we're now. So we're now in California. We've worked for. This session will cost you four hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. So you worked for uh, Warner Brothers. You were creative. You did copywriting. Then what? Uh, then what? Um, well, uh, I, I well. So I was getting ready for work one day, and I, I also I met I met the man I married and met Rick Siegel, and we like to say his name all together. It's one of those names that you have to say the first name and the last name always. So it's Rick Siegel. Um, so even you know even the rabbi said, "Do you Rick Siegel take?" You know, it was like it. You know, you have to say the names together. It's a Is thing. this a California like thing a, or a marketing thing? No, I think it's just like a co-joined. I'm a, I've always been slightly obsessed with co-joined twins, so I like to put things together. So he's Rick Siegel. It's okay. So, stay with me. It's okay. It's okay. Is, is, is he a hashtag with that too? Hashtag Rick Siegel? <laughs> he might have a hashtag. He might have a hashtag. Okay. And now our dogs, like I have hashtag Sadie Siegel, hashtag Izzy Siegel. Like our dogs have the Siegel, you know, it's all combined. Although I'm not Jenny Siegel, which is the irony of irony. So there, there you have it. Okay. So you met Rick Siegel. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I knew I'd get to him. Um, so... Yes, I met Rick Siegel while I was working at Morgan Creek Productions. He was managing um, Craig Ferguson. He's a personal manager. And they we were producing a movie that Craig had written, starred, and directed in. So during that time, there was a lot of interfacing with Senior Siegel. 
and um, we just got to know each other a little bit. And that's, that's you know. The rest is that's, history. That's, that's a Hollywood love story right there. He invited me to, uh, uh, we hadn't even got on one date yet. This, well, I'll tell you a little, like this is a, like a cute story. So we meet in, our, in my boss's office where I was working. And uh, he said, what are you doing, you know, working here as, after I had just been sort of like running a marketing department somewhere else. And I said, you know, I was, I was actually going to school to be a writer and I'd written some scripts and he offered to read them. There's quotes around that because I don't, you know, who believes that? And, um, and we Nobody believes anything off. from California. So no, okay. LA, we're, everyone's just a bunch of liars. And my sister yeah. was a lit agent. So I emailed her and I said, you know, this guy, Rick Siegel, he's offering to read my stuff. You know, what does that mean? So she put out like an, an APB to her entire agency asking for referrals. And they all wrote back, nice guy, great guy. Tell your sister not to worry. You know, she can, she can uh, ride in the car with him without fear. So so uh, we- Let me interrupt start. you one second. Yeah, Quick, sure. Just, just as a sort of background, is it true that his name really isn't Rick Siegel and you're trying to protect him so he doesn't lose his job when this podcast is published? Yeah, it's true. His name is Sick Regal. I don't, <laughs> I don't, but- <laughs> Okay, we won't tell anyone. And, it's, and it's knuck and fuck. So anyway, so, th- so that's, so that's, that's how we, so we Matt. got to know each other. And before we had even gone on an A date, he sent me a multiple choice question via email. And he said something like, A, would you rather um, lose a million dollars, B, be publicly humiliated, or C, go to London with me to see a concert for George, the George Harrison tribute concert? And um, so it's like, you know, it's a multiple choice. I've never been good at multiple choice. So I did pick that one. So he was a very a fun, romantic, sweep your off your feet kind of dude. Perfect. And we California met. Story. Yes, totally. And so we met, got married and cut to we were living in the in our house in it in the Hollywood Hills and getting ready for work one day. And there was this uh, we were both kind of freaking out looking for something to wear in our closet with this massively long, weird old closet in this old 1956 house. And um, uh, there was plastic everywhere. We couldn't find anything. And I'd never seen, he had a, he's a little bit of a short fuse and he was like, yeah, I can't find anything. What's going on? And he's flipping out. That sounds like the Rick Siegel I know. That is the Rick Siegel. That's, you know, you know, good. You gotta take the good with the bad. And, um, it, it, yeah, and uh, and so I thought, geez, you know, if we're freaking out over all this plastic, first of all, it's gnarly, but you know, there's got to be a better way. So we started to look for alternatives to dry cleaning plastic, and we found a cotton laundry bag that you could turn upside down, and it turns into a laundry bag, and right side up, it's a garment bag, and you can bring it to the dry cleaners, and they use your own bag, and no more plastic, and we met this lady that was making them and she had been making them for years and I thought it was genius. And I said, you know, I'm in marketing and I think I can help you maybe create something that's more marketable to the masses. And um, she was somewhat interested and then not really interested. And she's, you know, I really like the way I'm doing it now. And it was heavy cotton and it wasn't really sellable. So we did a little due diligence and we saw that uh, there had been a think tank of dry cleaners that had been trying to do this exact thing called safety clean since like the late seventies. Wait a minute, interruption. 
This is yeah. what's great about video, by the way. I can do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you're telling me it took a whole think tank of dry cleaners to figure out that that if you don't use plastic, but you'll use something like cotton or canvas, it solves a lot of problems. But they didn't have the problems then. Nobody knew plastic was perilous. Nobody knew it was bad for the environment. Nobody knew it was clogging up the ocean. Back then, it was like cool and keeping stuff clean and neat and all that. But they realized, I think it was more from a cost perspective, that this plastic was probably costing these cleaners a lot of money. Oh. Um, and also, you know, and I don't know, again, but uh, everybody was using perk back then, which was pretty toxic. It's very toxic. And right. you get a lot of off-gassing when your stuff is trapped in non-breathable plastic. So that's what it, that explains Mark, by the way. <laughs> He's one big uh, off-gassing. Well, that was a perk victim. But keep going. <laughs> so, so these guys, I met them at a trade show, and they were like, you know, we've been trying to do this for a real long time. I met one of the original distributors who've been trying to sell these bags, and then we, and they had a patent that had lapsed. So, you know, all all. It was all fair game to us. So we just created something that was more marketable that I met with a bunch of different dry cleaners to see what would work for them. Uh, I worked with a fabric that I knew was already branded green, which was the non-woven polypropylene, which is what you get at the grocery store. Really easy to care for. Plus it's breathable. And something like a cotton would have gotten moldy and it was wrinkled and it, it shrunk and it sprayed and it just wasn't great. But this was a very manageable fabric. So we created our own version. So um, what is, for the, for the one listener we have, mm. what is um, different about this bag? Because it sounds like it's just a bag. Well, it's really pretty cool. It has multiple features. So when you turn it upside down, it has what we call our little laundry loop. You can hang it from an over-the-door hook, and it's a drawstring laundry bag. Yep. You throw your dry cleaning in it. You cinch the bag. You bring it to the dry cleaner, has a duffel strap, so hands-free, carry it to the dry cleaner. You leave it with the dry cleaner, and then they check it in as a non-revenue item, so it gets checked in with all of your other stuff, just like a shirt. And then when the assembly team goes to put it together, they see that you've brought your own bag. They put it, When it's right side up, it becomes a garment bag with a side zipper. So they load in your eight to 10 pieces of clothing into the same bag, and then everything's pristine and comes back without any plastic. And they clean, it gets cleaned as well. They can wash the bag or it can be spot cleaned. It is it is a byproduct of refined oil. So basically it's plastic. So it doesn't really attract the same odors and moisture that are like a cotton or even a nylon bag would. So they don't really get, you're not going to the coal mine and putting your stuff, it's, you know, you're putting your dry clean clothes in. So it really doesn't get that dirty anyway, but yes, it can be washed. Did okay. you figure out how, how much plastic it saves? either by, you know, by individual or household? So what we did, we did an estimate um, using governmental eco-calculators throughout the country. And we did averages according to these estimates that there's approximately 300 million pounds of single-use plastic that end up in just U.S. landfills and waterways every year. Wow. So, you know, every human person in a house, like approximately, if they are using the bags once a week for an average order of like four to six pieces of clothing, will go through an entire roll of poly, which is about 35, I want to say, I think it's, I forget, it's $35, I think it charges the 
35 to $40 per person per year at the dry cleaner. Um, and there are these big, heavy rolls of poly. So it's a lot. Right. And, and, and when you throw it out, that stuff doesn't sort of go away really easily, does it? No, like at all. I think it takes a thousand years for a plastic bag to degrade. And does it really degrade? It's still toxic. It's still made of chemicals. So, um, they find uh, it suffocating and, uh, uh, baby whales and uh, turtles. Yeah, the turtles are mistaking it for food, yeah. and the other fish are eating that. And um, it's just wreaking havoc on the environment. You know, wildlife, marine life, they're all getting, they're ingesting it. Um, and it's just, uh, it's pretty pretty ugly and then a lot of the a lot of businesses think they're doing an okay job if they're going to be getting biodegradable um bags but truth be told if they're going to end up in landfill they're not really going to biodegrade either so, so what year you know, are we what year are we when you when you uh came up with the yeah, idea met with a marketing person and then met with the think tank and then decided this would be cool what year are we now well the think tank we had already so I was, so we met, we, we saw the bag, I think that was around 2008, I was working at an eco festival at, I was a consultant for a printer, green printer, and I was working at an eco festival for Universal Studios, so that was kind of cool, and then we saw that bag, we brought it around to different dry cleaners, found out what wouldn't work for it, um, and then we went on and found the patent for the one from the 70s or 80s, whenever that was, it lapsed in 92, I think. And then um, we just started creating some prototypes and that was in 2008. I worked with a friend of mine who was a furniture upholsterer and she created a prototype out of like this thick, thick muslin. It looked like a slip cover, it was horrible. Um, but what we were able to come up with some designs and send them um, to some factories overseas. And then we just started to get some samples of, um, of the polypropylene that I wanted to work with. And we just made about, I think we made about 3000 sort of like prototypes, but they, you know, they were usable, but they were our first batch. And we did three different colors and we introduced them to a trade show. I think that was in the summer of 2000. I want to say it was 2008 or nine. So is it just, this is great. So, um, I'm assuming, and this is a long time ago, so I can't believe it is that secret. I assume that run of 3000 was 10 to $15,000. I'm trying to think actually how much I think we, it was probably around $12,000 or something like that. And the trade show cost you a few thousand. Few thousand and we actually hired a Korean speaking spokesmodel because we knew a lot of the cleaners were Korean speaking and she helped us explain the product. And Did you have a good booth or a bad booth? Were you? We had a pretty good booth. We didn't know the difference. It was a pretty good booth. A um, lot of traffic, met lots of people. It was a whole new industry for us. I'm coming from the music industry. My husband's working with Hollywood people day and night. So we were like, had no idea what to expect. And it was a pretty receptive crew, you know. People How did you know to use that? How did you, this is interesting. The reason I'm getting into it, Mark, is we rarely get this kind of information, right? Why do you think I wanted Jenny to be on this? Yeah, this is great. So, so how did you pick Aside that? Aside from charm, her wit, and yeah, other yeah. attributes. And right, right. And, and, and wait, wait till you see my rack. Oh, it's audio only. Um, uh, so, um, how did you pick that particular? Um, how did you pick that particular show versus? I'm sorry, um, uh, trade show versus any other? Just the closest one. Then uh, it was a dry cleaning industry trade show. So how many of them? Was, how many are there a year? 
believe it or not, there's a few. There was regional ones, and this one happens every other year, and it was in Long Beach, California. Oh, so it's nearby. Yeah, so we could drive to it. Um, Rick, my husband, had started talking to some folks at a dry cleaning publication, Trade Pub, and they were giving him some pointers of where we should launch. And that was when we just started meeting people in the industry and joining the associations and learning learning about um, the industry that way. And that that's how we decided to do that trade show. But hold on. Uh, so, okay, so you're so yeah. so. How did that? Uh, okay, so you get an okay booth at this trade show. You didn't bring all ten or three thousand with you. You had a nice display, and did people walk up? How did you? And you had your Korean spokeswoman. How did you get did. people to talk to you? And and what did you say? And how did you convince them this was the way to go? Correct. Well, uh, my rack. Yeah, it speaks for itself. It speaks for itself. Um, we do have the best bags in the biz. That's my other trade. That's my other <laughs> tagline. Um, so, uh, no, we, you know, listen, I've been in marketing and sales my whole life. So we really just wanted to, we were more not trying to sell, but we were trying to learn. We wanted to show people our product and get feedback from an industry. California obviously is a great market to start. It's very forward thinking as far as environmental initiatives. And we really wanted to just see how this thing would fly. We didn't- So let's just go to the trade show itself. I mean, this is actually yeah. kind of interesting. You're standing there and, or your model is standing there. I assume you and yeah. Rick Siegel were we standing are. there. Yeah. Okay. So you're all kind of hanging out with these a bag or two with you and people are looking at you kind of funny, awkwardly, and they walk by. What do you do? How do you go grab them? How do you bring them in? What do you say? Now, what's your elevator pitch when you've got this long winded, like my question, um, thing to sell? There's going to be a cross examination after this and then we're going to no, do it. This is like great. This is great. This is like the anatomy of, a, of launching a business. So what'd you do? So here's what I did. First of all, I'm very individual. So I had lots of garment racks and all these, we had these different color bags. So we set them all up and we set up a, like a laundry hamper and we set up a hook so you could see all the ways that it was able to be in there. And then we wore the t-shirts and we had a great backdrop with fabulous graphics on it that really explained everything. And the three, nobody cares about the environment. How do you sell the environment? Look at money. It's all about money. And the first thing is boost your bottom line. The second is save money on plastic and retain customer loyalty. So if those three things can speak to a dry cleaner, the environment is a win. Is there a big sign? Big, big, big graphic behind us. I had an artist. We did some really fun graphics. We created a really cool logo. Um, We just, we just really, I made it sort of like cartoony and fun and kind of campy. Um, cause the colors were like that as well. And, um, and then we, we wear the bags. So when I, when we do trade shows, we wear the bags so you can see what they look like. And then you can instantly show people what they do. We had lots of handouts and, and, you know, we offered show specials if you sign up and you want some, and then we'll, you know, and we were offering branding. We could put the logo of the company on the bag. We had printers that could do that. So, um, we ended up, taking quite a few orders at that show and okay so you're well, standing there you're called green are you called green garmento and you have all these multicolored bags yes the green garmento and i think at the time we did a aqua blue a brown and a green and our green it was really okay. kind of pretty okay so people walking by who are trying to save money see that hey this is kind of colorful it catches my eye it looks yes. like some friendly people to talk to they have a korean spokesperson 
um, and it looks like they can save me some money. Let me see what they have to offer. So then people walk up to you and and you bullshitted with them for a few minutes. But how did you get them to convert that to an order? And how big was the order? Because if they leave with five of them, that's useless. So what happens? Right. So, um, you know, it's funny. We, I think we had minimums. I think you had to purchase them. If you wanted your logo on the bag, we have minimum orders. But um, I think we sold thousands. I mean, people were ordering. We had somebody order 2,000. Um, At what oh, price wanted, point? At what price point? They were in the six or so dollar range per bag, I think. If at the end of the day, it, you're say, they're not expensive. You know, we're they're under seven dollars, between five and six dollars for a bag that they use for years. Um, do they sell them to their customers or did they give them away? Both. So it depends on the operation and how they want to implement this kind of change. So a lot of them, and we learn this through working with them, they can they can sell. Just take a deposit on the back. You know, when I when I lived in Brookline, I, I used a dependable cleaners. Is actually a I remember them. Now. I remember them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On, and on, on, on uh, Harvard Street. There in Harvard Avenue. Yeah, exactly. Harvard. And when I um, got my little laundry bag, I had to leave it like a like a thirty five dollar deposit back in the day, like back a long time ago. I'm sure they don't do it anymore. But it was like if you want to keep the bag, then you know you will give you the deposit back when you leave it creates a bit of retention. I'm sure, by the way, they don't do that anymore. I'm sure it's not $35. But at the time, it was like a new thing. And I was part of their VIP club or whatever it was. So there, you, you know, people can use our bags the same way. Do you want to be part of our eco club? Do you want to help the environment and help us eliminate our plastic usage? We'll give you, if you give us a deposit of $10 or $15 for two bags, I'm going to give you a punch card. Every time you bring it back, I'm going to give you $2 off your order. So you're paying for it out of your pocket as a deposit, but they're going to give you money back on the way in. Like there's ways that these dry cleaners can get, can get creative and really use it as a tool to just, you know, retain that customer while doing something good for the environment. Oh, this is great. Okay. So you get all these orders, you have thousands. Did you go home and buy yourselves you and the lobster dinner because this is California. So I guess it was right. like whatever California. Right. It was a spiny, spiny lobster. Lobsters, yeah. lobster here. Yeah. It's horrible. Were you, were you thrilled or was it just sort of like a, yeah, me. Oh, no. We were like, what just happened? I mean, we didn't, we thought we'd sell, like you said, like five bags, you know, here's a bag. You know, they, the fabric wasn't final. It was a weird fabric. It, it wasn't made well. We had terrible rippage. It was, the construction wasn't perfect. We, yeah, it was a shit show, actually. And so we had to, that was the first failure. We we're like, epic, epic failure. It's like this I'm podcast, going, a shit show. Yeah, it's a total <laughs> shit show. Um, but, uh, and so we were like, well, maybe we, you know, this is exciting, but daunting because what did we just get ourselves into? This was fun. And we're like, oh, goody. We're going to like teach them about the yeah, environment. Holy shit, we've got it. We've got to fulfill yeah. these orders now. Yeah. Now we have to go back to China. And like, so our, our, um, and you'll appreciate this Mark cause you like the drunk stories, but our first right. factory rep that was, he's here, but he was Chinese and he helped us find the right factories overseas. Um, he he partook in the uh, in some uh, drinking every now and then. So like he was so excited that we were getting off the ground so quickly. He would dial us in the middle of the night, be like, "I'm just wanting to know how happy I am to be working with you." I'm like, "Why? Why me? I leave the music industry where it's just debaucherous, and yes. now I've got like the factory rep calling me, telling me how much he loves That's me, funny. and you know, there's yeah, oh, it's hilarious." So that was okay. my first failure. 
by the way, did you have when you took those orders? Did you already have enough um, um, inventory to cover them or no? Yes, for those we did. Um, well, the big ones, no, like the big one in the 2000, they wanted black and they wanted their logo in a very specific oh. way. So that just was became a factory order. And then we started learning how to ship things in overseas. Um, and we learned how logistics work and shipping sea versus air and all that. And, um, and then it just grew from there. Yeah. So what, this is like, I'm sorry, is this 2011? At the point, at this point, or no, this when? was 2008. This is when still, we launched. This is oh, 2008 this is still, or nine. It was like it was, it was August. I want to say it might have now been the. I think we launched in the summer, and then our and then uh, sometime like October, November, we started to get more shipments in. But yeah, we took those first orders like in August of 2008, and, I believe. What year? What year was Shark Tank? So again, I need to ask me that. I feel like Shark Tank might have been 2014. I gotta go look and see how much I weighed because I do everything by like the weight. So I think I was like at a good weight for then, and I think that was about 2014. You look very skinny on Shark Tank. Thank you, thank so, you very much. Okay, so going back, so so you do that. So were you running this out of your basement, or and did you have a storefront, or is this all by catalog, or how did you? Number one, where did you hang out to do the work? That could be your house, and how did you do more marketing to grow by the time you got to Shark? Tank in 2014? Good question. So, so we both had offices in our home um, in, in Hollywood. We lived in, the, in what's called the Hollywood Knolls, which is the Hollywood Hills of, in Hollywood. Um, and we, uh, we both had offices, so we did work out of there. Um, and then we quickly got a warehouse in North Hollywood, which was like a small, I think it was like five or 600 square feet, just somewhere where we could like put some boxes and then, and then slowly after that, we hired a warehouse manager. And, and was Rick Siegel full time with you, or is it just you? No, he was helping me. Rick Siegel helped uh, raise money for the investment for uh, so that we could grow the business. So when was that? Had, when was that? That was so soon thereafter because we had. We, we, you know, we had to do all that other stuff. We had to get warehouse and the marketing person and I or, or I say an artist and stuff. I was mostly the marketing person. Um, uh, it's, it was ongoing. It started in like the 2009 and then it just, we, you know, we raised some money and that's. How much did you raise? Well, I, over, I'd say over a million dollars. Really? For what? Yeah, we For did. Inventory marketing and uh, trade shows? A lot of it is education, growth, um, and and uh, aligning with the correct factories, and a lot of R and D about fabrics and development and design. We we created other products in the line. Um, like what? So we like have a what? like what? Well, like you know that shirt you're wearing right now, that button down shirt. Did you get that dry cleaned? Oh yeah, we uh, well, yeah weekly, right? Yeah. And when you when you get that clean, does it come back on a hanger or in a box? Oh, I hang her in a bag and I, I uh, suffocate as many turtles as I can with it. But I mean, so most times when a man gets a shirt clean, it comes back folded like right. in a box. Yeah, it's a pain in the butt. So, yes. So we did a reusable tote, which is the same size as a shirt box. So you can do like eight to ten folded shirts without any plastic or any packaging inside a reusable tote bag. That's Does it double as a bread box or something? What does it double it, as? It doubles as an actual grocery bag, but it's made for her. <laughs> oh, it's, really? It, people use it for everything. It has these little handles. It's really, really cool. Really, really cool. So we did like the reusable box bag tote. We did um, 
We've done now wash and fold is huge because the industry, dry cleaning industry has had a bit of a downturn. So we uh, dry people, millennials do more uh, laundry than, than dry cleaning. So we do a lot of different um, laundry bags. We have what's called the locker bag, which is like a wash and fold delivery duffel because a lot of people are using locker services um, for, for pickup and drop off in big buildings and cities and stuff like that. So we work with the locker companies to create the, the right size of a reusable bag for their so lockers. How do you, so this is all great. So how is a, and we do have to get to the other part of the story, but how did you, how many employees did you have? We never have had that many. I use a lot of contracts people so okay, we have an artist we have an artist that lives in argentina we have a full-time national sales manager that lives in kansas who was a client of ours she was a dry cleaner um oh. she ran uh she was a managed a dry cleaning operation for 13 years and i love her and ever since i learned she was leaving her company uh her dry cleaner i was courting her i'm like please come sell for me because she knew the business she knew the language and she can Talk to dry cleaners all day long, and she's fantastic. So she's with us, so, and then we have a, yeah, who a warehouse manager. Who spent all the time figuring out, I guess it was you, uh, the other products, that is the bread box slash shirt folding holder <laughs> and all that stuff. Who spent the time doing that, and how did you build those markets? Well, it's all our, our markets are built in because I do work with all these dry cleaners, and, and we work, we have a, a, a pretty good size base. Um, and we just were watching market trends. You know, we learned from going to these various shows and talking to our clients all day long what is needed in the industry. So we're just we're just answering the need of the industry, really. But do you have um, boots on the ground? Or is it, are your boots on the ground or do you have people for that? Well, it's been my boots on the ground. Rick and I, we go to every trade show. Angela comes with us, our salesman. She goes to every, we go to huge, massive trade shows now. There's a huge national one every two years called Clean Show. Um, it's an international trade show that changes cities every other year. Um, we go to all the regionals, most of the regionals, and um, and we're just we we advertise in the in the dry cleaning trade publications. I don't do a lot of walk-ins. I don't ever walk into people's places unless I'm in the neighborhood and I want to say hello. But um, it's it's more they you know usually people get in touch with us or we'll do a lot of email marketing, a lot of email blasts. Um, everything we do is digital because I don't do a lot of paper and. You know, we still have to watch what we're doing with the environment and all that stuff. So it sounds, I mean, you're just sounding, it's, it's it just, you made it sound like it was very easy to grow this and that these were, everything was essentially low-hanging fruit. But in point of fact, it must have been a lot of work. Or not really. It's, it's, it's a horrendous amount of work, to be honest with you, because so much of it is education. You know, you're dealing with generations of, of people, like two, second, third generation or even you know that just that they've been doing things the same way for a long time and to implement change is hard and at the same time there's technology that's changing and there's these automatic baggers our biggest competition well one of is an automatic bagger which they it's easier for them they don't have to hire the labor they don't have to pay insurance it's all automated the shirt goes through the item goes through a, 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 a gust of air blows up into a piece of plastic and it goes over the clothes and it closes automatically and and it's an assembly of it's completely automated and it's using it's using so much plastic it's 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 mind-blowing i have videos that i've taken of automatic baggers from trade shows just that i've snuck some videos and just the amount of plastic that ends up in in garbage bags during the day of their of them showing how this works you know because they have to rip the plastic off to put the clothes through again 
it, it's hundreds and hundreds of garbage bags full of packs of plastic bags. So how do you Wait, how do, you do I, the education? David, I like, I like this notion of this hit, this hidden underground video. This is like um, going to the uh, uh, the, the uh, what do you call it? The slaughterhouses with totally. Dance. Oh my god! Oh, you should see me. I'm like here I am. I'm taking a video. Look at this plastic. It's disgusting. And they all know me. I mean, they know me. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like nothing. I'm not doing anything. Yes. I'm taking a selfie. But yeah, no, it's a. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's disgusting. It is. It's like the slaughterhouse, and it's yeah. gnarly. It's it's no good, but, but to be this kind. This is how the chicken nuggets are made. I know. It's okay if there's a toenail. Um, but I, I, did, I, I have gotten to know one of the major autobagger companies. It's an Italian company, and they're very nice people. I'm not going to say anything bad. They are, they have, I've tried to work with them and I am ongoing trying to work with them to create something that perhaps work with their baggers. So it well, doesn't have idea. to be single use. It could be a reusable solution. So at least the conversation is, is ongoing. But there okay, so the machine, not the plastic necessarily. The machines and right. Well, both. I mean, people like the ease of use of the plastic and they need that plastic because it protects the clothing while in a plant where there might be a lot of dust. Okay, so flash forward to 2014. The business is booming. No, uh, it's never been booming. I don't want to ever people think it's been a booming. It, honestly, it's oh. always been a growing business okay. and a labor of love. Okay. We sell a lot. I will tell you this. Okay, yes, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but yes, this okay. was doing fairly well. We were getting there. And then the largest dry cleaning supplier in the universe. Um, they known universe. They created their own line that sounded a lot like the green garmento. Like green pimento? It's something like that. Spleen pimento. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> spleen pimento. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay. The, the talking to an IP lawyer at the other end of this. <laughs> I know, I know. They should be shaking in their boots right now. I'm sure they are. They went Ooh. in really, really cheap. They undersold us, and there was no way we could compete with. Sounds like Amazon. Yeah, they. Um, I don't know. I, I have nothing against Amazon, but they were. Um, it just it just really threw us for a loop so much so really? that the owner of the company was in LA and he said I'd like to meet with you uh -oh. and we were like hmm okay this is interesting and we went I brought my dog and I you know we had drinks and a, a you know, soda at a nearby place and he said because I know that you are going to have major market you know a foothold in this market and we want that yeah. he was totally honest. <laughs> um, and uh, that you know, I was, okay. that's okay when people do when, when they're open about it. Right, Donald, right, Trump, right. Donald Trump would go way up in the polls if he just admitted he knew he was being an asshole. Right. Exactly. Oh, he's definitely he's getting an explicit rating on Apple Podcasts after this. David, before you go to 2014, 2013 okay. is when lovely Thin yeah. Denny was on uh, Shark Tank. Oh, do you want to continue that? That's all your marketing. I was well continue that story, but then get us back to um, Shark Tank because that sounds fun too. So yeah. Oh, it's all fun. Yeah, no. I, so talk yeah, about having people copy you and yeah. What? Talk, talk about the meeting more. What happened? So, so said, well, so yeah, so he was actually nice and charming. Um, you know, he's like, well, I just think maybe, perhaps, hypothetically, maybe in the future we could potentially be working together. And I'm like, listen, 
you know, I know how the world works. I, if you want to ask me if I have an exit strategy or if maybe I want to come work for you or I can help you design products, why don't you just freaking ask me? In other words, if he came to you and said, um, uh, either join forces or, or not, and then the impact of not joining forces is, well, then I'll see you in the market. We'll compete and we'll, you know, we'll innovate right. in our own way. That's a, that wouldn't be a bad thing because competition breeds innovation. One yep. would think. Yeah, and it continues the conversation. We had a we had on our website we got this really cool map finder app where you could plug in your thing, your your zip code, and find out any dry cleaner in your area that was accepting the green garments bags. Because we were really starting to really do things on a bigger level, and uh, you know our numbers were good. We were in profit, and you know we were just excited. Like it was all happening, and then he just swooped in, which was just just unsavory. So, yeah. happened. so how did the meeting so, end? What happened? Yeah. So, well, that meeting, um, that, so, um, so then he had the nerve. We have a here, Mark. <laughs> well, yeah. So he had the nerve after our meeting to send me a dog, a gift for the dog, a cute little thing, and a cookie. Just, I don't know. Uh, it just, it just was it just salt in the wound every moment of every day. So I, always like to take the high road and I never said a disparaging word. I never said anything. And then I was at another trade show and did this affect your business at all? Oh, two questions. Number one, were there chocolate chips in the dog cookie? And did this affect your business? Right. There probably were chocolate chips in the dog cookie. I was wondering why my dog has like a sloping left lip now. <laughs> he looks a lot like Mark. <laughs> yeah, he totally totally disrupted our oh really our business oh. yeah he took away a lot of market share we we our our um numbers took a nosedive um people left us it was oh, it was Draw. well Draw. that's part of the reason why we started doing other products oh um uh we wanted to body get, bags you know, body bags right i know i trust me um and we just you know i just Again, I wanted to take the high road. We wanted to create things that would still help the industry and keep our market share. And um, we ended up marking down that product. You know, you can either go one of two ways. You can go high and just retain a few good customers that'll pay a lot or go really, really low to try to compete. But it was it's too much of a commodity market in this. You know, these are things that people are buying a lot of and they need a lot of them. You can't really sell them at a high price. So we just tried to be as competitive as we could, and we became a value added. You know, we're not a one eight hundred number company. We have boots on the ground, like you said. We are. We have professional dry cleaner on staff that will walk you through how to use it twenty four seven. We visit plants. We make personal sales calls, or just we. And we've aligned ourselves. We've become friends. We have we're friends with people in the industry. Um, so much so that one of my customers who I adore, we've become really good friends and he's a staunch Republican and uh, a Southerner. And I am this liberal lefty Jewish chick in LA. But is he a never so Trumper? Different. He's not a never Trumper. Um, I don't know. I don't know, but it okay. doesn't matter. He's my okay. friend. And uh, anyway, my point is there's a lot of just pettiness and ugliness that you have to overcome and again, just take the high road. And I've just really appreciated the customers that we do have. And we've been able to build back and oh, create other things. And we and, and the bag, we now have like a, 
a patented pouch that you can put your hangers in to, so you can recycle return oh, your hangers. Idea. Yeah, yeah. Because we jam yeah. ours with a we jam in ours. We get the we get the um we have a what do you call it, a loyalty bag like you got from uh, Dependable Cleaners or whatever. Oh, you did. Oh, you okay? Good. We used to be there, but we're in, we're in uh, Natick now. But I usually jam the sharp pointy um, hanger tips in the bag with the damn pieces of plastic and yeah. those little things that hold your um, sleeves together. Yeah. I jam them all in the bag and then I hope it just doesn't poke holes in my shirts, which are stuck in the same bags. So and that's and trust me, they will, they will poke holes. So that's why it's always good to put them in a separate compartment. Okay. Who's, so who's your cleaner now? Who do you oh, use? Oh God, it's, um, oh, it's a small chain and I forgot, I should know the name. Um, I know where it is in Natick. How's that? I know where they that's are. That's good. That's are you good. Using that's Royal? Good is it Royal? I, no, 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 no. That's what we no. use in Weston. Uh, I'm going to have to but, get you guys some bags because, you know, my foot soldiers are my people. Anybody okay. who brings a bag into their store, into their dry cleaner, is, is basically selling for me yeah, and yeah, educating their dry cleaner. And we, um, that's, we also have an online store. We sell to a lot of consumers. We do a lot of like Hollywood things so that, you know, celebrities get them and people talk oh, about them. Yeah, we do a lot of those like Oscar swag bags and we've been in a lot of TVs and movies. So we're all about lifestyle and, and it's so that's how we've gotten away from that. Um, you know, it's not just about supplying something to a dry cleaner, but it's about creating change for people at home too. So I'm looking up while we do, while, while you're talking. Oh, you're um, looking up, David, while you're talking. I'm going to talk over you, which is what yeah. we get criticized for. Perfect. Do that. I'll look this up. In 2013, you were on Shark Tank. Yes. Make sure that we don't leave this behind. How did you get on it? What was the experience? And after, again, you know, for those that don't know, you did not get uh, Mr. Wonderful's money or whoever was close. Uh, can you articulate why you didn't get it? What was the reason they gave you? And then what happened afterwards? Because obviously your business is still here seven, eight years later. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I made a fatal mistake. And I went in thinking that the product would speak for itself and that everything behind the business is kind of not as important as what I had to offer. Because I know what we had was very interesting. We already had a foothold in the marketplace. I was starting to work with retail. You know, we had like all these different irons in the fire. It was kind of an exciting growth time. And... They, and also, I will say, before you go on the show, it's like a year before you're giving them all your financials and all of your information, which is already there. So I figured whatever was there was known. And like I said earlier in the show, if this is a show and not a nightmare for me right now. Um, Nobody really knows what this is. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, well, hopefully your one listener will not know either. But um, so... Our one my, listener just affected to Joe Rogan. Oh, God. Oh, my God. He's been crushing us. He's crushing us, Joe Rogan. Fantastic. Keep going. That's fantastic. Um, I forgot. Oh, I'm going to have to get a Bubba Booey in here somewhere because I'm really exactly. hoping that Bubba Howard Booey. Stern picks this up. And because that's really the best. I want to get Howard a bag more than I. I mean, I love you guys and I'm going to send you guys some bags, but 
That's it's my... Anton's. By the way, we're on the, while we're digressing, it's Anton's. A N T O N apostrophe uh, Anton. Oh yeah, I know. I know Anton's. I know. Oh yeah. Oh, nice I would folks. love for you to bring. I'd love for you yeah. to bring some bags in there. It's a, it's a tell me what you need me to do. I'll do it. They're great. We've been with them twenty years. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Yeah, I know those guys. They're they're nice guys. So I'll, yeah. I'll tell you about my tour of the uh, serious Howard Stern studio a few years ago. Stop. That's true. Love him. About three years ago. And then I and I met Richard Christie and I have pictures with him. And, oh my God! Uh, I uh, you know I'm a big Howard Stern fan. Obviously, the lovely Stacy is. And yeah. then I I crank called her and prevent, uh, pretended to be uh, uh, I think Sal the stockbroker and she didn't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't pretend That's to be fantastic. Trump's publicist. No, um, no, this is much better than uh, Trump's publicist. Anyway, 2013. 2013. Sharkies. Sharkies. Not Shark Tank. What happened? Yeah, so, okay, so my biggest mistake was, as I told you, Rick's really the guy that helped raise a lot of money to put this whole thing together when we really needed money. And we were working with a bunch of literally green investors that only invest in things that are for the environment sustainable. And the the way it was called, I, I, won't, I won't get too technical, but the way, because I don't know how, because this is so out of my wheelhouse, but the way they invested was it was not, there was no debt in this investment and that if over time it wasn't paid off, it would just be erased. It just was, it would, it wouldn't go anywhere. And that's like, that's like um, my bills to Mark. They went nowhere. Exactly. exactly. Who pays? <laughs> who, pays? <laughs> who pays? What kind of idiot pays their bills? <laughs> so, so in a nutshell, that's as simple as I could get, but they were like, I don't, they did not believe me. They were like, why would anybody invest without getting a piece of the business back? And I was like, cause it's for the good of the environment. We're hoping to pay them back. It really, we are planning to. You, you know, said this is the Sharkies? Yeah, said- they, there was a lot of it that didn't make it on the actual TV. Do the little so, eyes roll back in their heads like sharks yeah. tend to do? Oh my God, smoke out of every ear. I mean, they really? were like, what? <laughs> and, um, they don't want equity? They don't, what do you mean? They're not stealing the business from you? And also the fact that we did have um, another sort of like angel investor, one of these guys had put in a lot more than the other ones and uh, they didn't understand he wasn't in first position. So they really thought that I wasn't telling the truth. They would go ahead and make a deal with me maybe on TV, but then it wouldn't come to fruition because there was no deal to be made because we didn't have that kind of um, position left in the business, but we did. And I really, I mean, with the, I, I have, I own 80% of the business and I absolutely was looking to share ownership and get the right investors to bring it to the right marketplaces. So they didn't believe me. And at one point during the taping, you won't see this, but I, they were like, uh, Damon's like, look at her, look at her body language. She's lying. She's lying. So I stopped tape and I was like, okay, I know this is a TV show. I know this is a reality show. But you're bugging the shit out of me. I was like, if you question my ethics, I'm not going to keep going. I'm like, I I take this very seriously. I might be ill-prepared to answer these questions in detail, but I'm not lying to you. And we don't have any debt. And we don't, we are not, you know, we're not beholden to any investors. This is absolutely, but they... So they, he actually apologized. He's like, I'm so, okay, okay, keep going. And they were cool, whatever. But so a lot of it went down. And then at the end of it, the editing, you know, they tried to not make me look pathetic, but I think they also wanted to show the drama. So there was a bit of drama. So yeah, that's, that's what happened. And, As I recall, know. when I saw it, and, and I thought you came off really, you know, really, really good. But the way the edit came down, my impression was they made it look like you didn't know your numbers. 
I didn't at the, I, okay, so, and I really did not know my numbers. That, that was no lie. I was like, I have no friggin' idea what you're asking me right now. It was so confusing. And by the way, I've, I've taken classes and ever since then, I'm still confused. I'm, I'm not a numbers person. I'm a marketing, I'm a people person. I, I don't, no lie about that. And there's no shame in that. I nope. suck at numbers. And that was my downfall is I thought that my, my, you know, product and my you're, passion you're, for what we were doing is going to be all. Yeah. You're presenting a mission and you were asking for investment from sharks that really, you know, again, in the context of the game show that that that, that is, it is a yeah. reality show or a game show. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were looking to kind of deconstruct it and, you know, maybe invest and take two thirds of the business or whatever it was. But um, in, in when they, I think when they see someone struggling with the numbers, that's where they swoop in, having yeah. watched for a while. So yeah. uh, what advice would you give somebody going on Shark Tank? Should they go or, or, or not? Was it beneficial? You know, it's funny. It's funny. I still maintain, and I said this at the end of the show, and people were making like t-shirts out of it and hashtags, which is know thy numbers. Because um, if you are going to go on, these people are in business to make money. They're not right. there. You know, I mean, yes, it's good for them and good for their image. And it's a TV show and they get actually paid money. But they do want to know that what they're looking at makes in sound investment sense. So I would say be passionate about what you're doing. Um, uh, use the nervousness in your favor. Have fun with it. You know, enjoy your time because you're never going to get to do anything like that again. But know what you're talking about. I was very ill prepared for a lot of it. And um, and that's just, you know, I would say use my embarrassment to your to your profit, I guess. That's great. What a story. So, I mean, I've, used, I've used the example, you know, Dave and I, you know, do these uh, podcasts here and there and, you know, we, we talk to early stage companies. So I, without naming you or shaming you, I've just used the example of a friend of mine being on Shark Tank. Uh -oh, Mark, panelizing. No, I'm just kind of explaining that, yeah. uh, you know, one of the things that's important is to know the numbers. And this was a pu very public example of, yeah. of, of, of that because, you know, I've done a million investor presentations for the various companies I've either started or worked for, and mm -hmm. it's not pleasant. It's again, it's you use the baby analogy, you know, with respect to the D bag before, but um, it's your baby, and you, mm -hmm. you know, are real proud of your child and, and your your production, your thing, and you want to look good. And when someone attacks it, it doesn't feel good. Did right, you go out right. for spiny lobster after the show? No, no, I actually. This is the funniest thing. I on the way home from the show, I called my 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 girlfriend, one of my best friends, who's a publicist, and I called her and I was hyster I was hysterical. I'm like, they just completely destroyed me, and and that doesn't happen to me in my life very often, honestly. Like I'm, you know, I'm fun. I have fun. I like people. I, I you know, I don't I don't I have conflict with anybody. And I was like, she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, they destroyed me. They were so mean to me, and they and I was like, I messed it up. I messed up. That night, she was walking the red carpet to a, like an Emmys event. I think it was the Emmys week with a client who was a famous actor. And she was with this client and the sharks were all invited to the same event and they wanted to meet her client. So they went up to her and they were like, oh, excuse me, you know, uh, Ms. Nathanson, can we can we meet blah, blah, blah. And she goes, huh, you obliterated my friend on Shark Tank today. And they were like, what? Like all of a sudden, they're <laughs> and they're like, because they don't know who you are when you're there. Right. I could have been, you know, they don't know. You could have been Mark, Mark Furman. 
You could have been Mark I Thurman. I could have been. I, she should have said my friend Mark Thurman. And she goes, Jenny Nigrosh, the girl with the green garmento. What were you thinking? That product's going to change the world. What were you thinking? And she it. totally, literally called them to the carpet. And they, like, ran away. And it was like, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> How 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 long does that segment tape? How long is that ordeal for you? Um, from beginning to end, like from audition to when you get on, you mean, or for that moment? Well, the day the day you go in, you're there for some period of time. Hours. I mean, I was one of the last to tape, so I was huh? there all day waiting in a in a room, and then they put you in a room with a fan, so you don't hear the other people taping. It was crazy. It was bananas. How um, long before the show after you taped it before it was actually on the air? I don't remember. I think it was like a month or something. It oh, wasn't very close. long. Yeah. It, it, and there's no guarantee that it's going to tape. I have a friend that made the biggest deal in history on, on that show, like $4 million or something, and it never aired. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you about it off air. But, yes, yeah. he, it never aired, and uh, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't come to a, an agreement after the show with all the attorneys and stuff. So, it so never some aired. of these deals get undone. Post oh. I'd say many of them do. Oh, really? So, so, yeah. um, so with that, <laughs> I, have a, I have a call I've got to get to, but this was totally excellent. This was our best recording session today, and we didn't have eight of them before yours. Oh, that's great. I appreciate that. Well, this was my favorite failure podcast that I've ever done, so I'm so appreciative. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. This is great. Yeah. Um, so, David, this is where, where you'll, you'll cut it uh, right around here. So,